Hello, Sarah. Hello, Kim. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's a three-day weekend coming up. It is. It's Friday afternoon. We're so close. So <laughs> close. I can feel it. And we have two amazing guests today. Oh my gosh, this is so amazing. Um, one of our guests, Chick Thompson, we've been trying to get on for a while and things have happened. He's very busy so and very, he's very so busy, very important. So super yeah. happy to have him <laughs> and then Kayla Canario are with us. So how about they introduce themselves? Chick, why don't you go first? Sure. Hi, uh, Chick Thompson. Just so you understand where Chick came from. I was born 72 years ago at six months, uh, so very premature. I had wow. blonde hair. I was put in an incubator and a nurse said I look like a chicken. So <laughs> that stuck. Wow. And it was a great name until I got to grammar school and the kids called me chicken shit. Oh. So I changed it back to my proper name of Charles. But once I got comfortable with myself in my teens, I went back to Chip. I so love this, that story. I've been brainstorming my whole life. I have severe dyslexia. I have ADD and I struggled throughout school. So I've been brainstorming my whole life. First, how do you get out of grammar school? Then how do you get out of high school? And then what do you do when you flunk out of college? And then how do you get a job? And then all that brainstorming led to, uh, I, that's what I've done for the last 45 years, run brainstorms to invent things from Frappuccino, Nike Fuel Band, mattresses in a box, and after 9-11, I got the call from the intelligence community. And that's my main client now. I work with analysts all over the world, helping them connect the dots to try to keep us safe. And I, I live inside of a skiff, uh, you know, those secret rooms. And, you know, and they, what it is, is that my whole life of brainstorming has sort of developed some techniques that I don't approach this academically. I approach it, what works? And I try to tie design thinking into it and all that. And now at 65, I decided to go something I would never do, which would, I would never teach kids because I'm not an educator. I don't, you know, I don't, I've never taught kids and I don't have children. And then I go, wait a minute, if you want to go and really stretch your brain, if you want to really stay alive for the next 25 years, you got to do something totally different. And I thought, could I take this brainstorming curriculum and put it into elementary school? So I started at a little mountaintop Montessori in Charlottesville and gave a talk one day. And after my 45 minute talk, uh, a little fourth grade girl came up and put her arms around my knees and said, Mr. Thompson, that was fun. <laughs> and I what? lost it. I just started crying and I go, this is the rest of my life. And that's what it's been. It's been this past six years have been this blur of creating this thing. And we're all over the world. We're in Nigeria and Ghana. We're in Navajo Nation, inner city, Chicago, Atlanta. We're getting ready to go into Harlem. We're teaching in, in school, after school, boys and girls clubs, YWCAs, and we are having a blast. And so I would like to introduce you, everyone, to my partner, Kayla Canario, and you'll get to hear Kayla's background. Thanks, Chick. Man, I hope you guys never have to follow up a Chick intro. 
um, to tell about yourself. <laughs> so um, I'm Kayla. I have a background in education. I am a former teacher. I taught for nine years in the public school system in middle school in the real battleground taught science for a lot of years, and then I became uh, an instructional coach and specialized in technology integration and personalized learning and really worked with teachers on purposeful integration of technology and keeping students in the forefront, which was really fun, and I loved it. But then I got this amazing opportunity to work for the Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education, which is where I am now. I am a K-12 education project manager. So basically what I get to do is take outreach money from clients and spend other people's money on teachers and students. Mm -hmm. So I get to do all kinds of amazing STEM outreach with teachers and kids from all across the country, from military bases overseas, doing scientific research, design thinking, all kinds of fun PD, which is what led me to Chick. And Chick and I actually met at a Department of Defense <laughs> conference, right, Chick? Uh, yes. Where about, I meet all my friends, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> very very common. <laughs> no, like about like chemical and biological warfare conference, right? Yep. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's there as a, as a keynote talking about brainstorming, and I'm there trying to connect with mentors to mentor my students and teachers. And uh, it was kind of just a perfect matching for us. And you know, Chick is doing amazing things for students and kids and for teachers and for parents and for all kinds of people. And so it was a natural fit for me to come in with my, my educational background and my, uh, my project management job now and kind of work together to be a pretty awesome team. Wow. Yeah, that's, a, that's an incredible story. <laughs> The I feel way like we could maybe met, like stop. Have we, have we, we got everything? <laughs> I know, but also that this uh, going from defense and working, you know, with people that are, you know, clearly working on world impacting problems and then pivoting to elementary school students. Yes. <laughs> like, wow. That is just a huge swing. Yeah. You know, it, and that's what brainstorming is all about. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I mean, when, when I challenged Simmons mattress 10 years ago to create a new mattress that could be delivered to the home, they go, you're crazy. We sell to retailers and people love to go to mattress stores. And I go, no, they don't. <laughs> no one likes to lie on a mattress and have some creepy salesperson come up to them and say, hey, please tell me, how do you sleep? What's your sleep position? I go, no, I don't want anyone. I mean, to, to I want to go and order online. And Simmons rejected the idea. I still got paid for running the brainstorm, but they said, nah, we don't think it will work. Well, two of the people in the workshop said, I think this will work. And one started Yoga Bed, which was the first delivered to home mattress. And another friend of mine started Casper, which wow. is, of course, you know, Casper. Yes, and another I do. friend of mine just created another mattress. You know, we're going different directions. But that's what brainstorms people from the outside help you recreate and because we look at things differently. So the fact that I'm not a teacher gets me to look at education from a different perspective. And mm -hmm. since I'm a student that, I mean, I got held back in second grade. I, I, I got, I wasn't learning this. I was classified as learning disabled. You know, LD was the, you know, initials that went with right on my transcript. And so then to partner with Kayla and my other partner is Sandy Damashek, who just retired from Sesame Street and wrote all the 
for her 35 years, she wrote all their children's books. So mm. I got a, a great STEM teacher, a, a children's book author, and myself, and we took my curriculum and my brainstorming, and we created what we call the Kidpreneur Playbook. We, we, we coined the phrase called Kidpreneurs, and through design thinking, we're teaching kids in third through fifth grade how to identify community challenges, how to brainstorm, how to pitch. We don't have a shark tank. Shark tanks scare the heck out of me. We have a guppy tank where mm -hmm. when kids present their ideas, the listeners who could be community members or teachers or other kids are encouraged to use improv, the, the yes and, and build on ideas. That's what we do. Our goal is to have a, a global guppy tank. And right now we got a guppy tank going in Nigeria. And we're, we're just getting submissions of kids that are elementary school kids that have come up with socially responsible ideas and are doing it during COVID. And we're funding those ideas. Well, and I, I don't know, I'm assuming, Kim, that you are also nodding, nodding very vigorously behind Absolutely. here. Because we, <laughs> Kim and I, know firsthand that if you want to change the world, you have to start with the people who are going to be running it once you're gone. And so everything mm -hmm. has to come from young people. It's why teaching is so important. It's why teaching is so fun. It's why teaching is so scary. And so to hear you say, I know the importance of brainstorming. I want things to look different. And so I'm going to the root I'm like nodding so hard my headphones are falling off because at some <laughs> yeah. point we have to hand over the wheel and I'm, you know, you're doing the work to make sure that the people that we hand the wheel to are creative and empathetic and can think outside the box and that know that no matter what's stamped next to their name on their transcript, they can create something amazing. And that is so exciting for me to hear. That's, that's what it's all about. And what's fun about it is, is young people are now reaching out to us. I just had got an email from a young person. I guess he might be like 19 now, but he's the youngest teenage millionaire, self-made millionaire. What? He bought, he bought Bitcoin when he was 12. And <laughs> by 14, he was a millionaire. By 16, he's a multimillionaire. And now he wants to say, hey, how can we go and teach kids to become entrepreneurs? So he wants to, he just sent me an email, said, hey, I love what you're doing. How can I help? That's what I want. How can we help? How can we help these great teachers go and have stories for them to use in their classroom? And then Kale is just taking it to a whole different, different direction with uh, building a game for Waggy Labs. So Kale, if you could talk about that. Yeah, sure. I would love to. So this game was born out of, it was born out of the pandemic, really. Chick and I, early on in our time working together, were really brainstorming how we could serve students and parents from home. So this was in, in the spring, right? When everybody yeah. went home, some kids were getting virtual learning, some weren't. Parents mm -hmm. were trying to figure out work from home and, and teaching kids virtually at the same time. And everybody was a mess. <laughs> And, you know, at the time, Waggy Labs was being implemented as an after-school club. So Waggy Labs was on hold. There were no schools meeting. There were no after-school club clubs meeting. And we didn't know what, and we still don't really know what, what the outcome of that's going to be. When will after-school clubs meet again? So the real need that we saw was how do we keep kids thinking and problem-solving and brainstorming from home without the need of a parent, without the need of a teacher, without the need of having high level reading skills. 
and you know, it was a game. We can create a game for them, a game that takes them through the process, a game that can be scaffolded for different levels, a game that requires minimal reading and lots of drawing and thinking, a game that can be played by itself, that can be played virtually, that can be played with your brothers and sisters, with your parents, with your neighbor if you could. So what we did was we took Chick's brainstorming design thinking hybrid process and created a board game that could be printed on an inkjet printer with no pieces that just required people to think and draw. It's a lot of fun. And it has them taking a, taking a problem and reiterating the problem five times throughout the play of the game. And they land on different squares that cause them to think about different things and have different parameters. For example, you might land on a square that says your user is a T-Rex. So they have to consider, you know, a T-Rex's body shape or <laughs> um, what they eat. Or it might say, you know, it's there are fun parts and whimsical parts about that, like, oh, it's used in microgravity. But then there are also um, serious pieces of it where we're saying, well, your user speaks a different language than you do. Or your user is in a wheelchair. Or the only materials that are available to you are recyclable materials. And so each time they land on a new space, they have to reiterate their idea to solve their problem, but they have to do it cumulatively. So by the end of the game, they've considered five different parameters for a design, which is a lot of fun. That does sound really fun. And I love that I'm constantly looking at things through a lens of kind of access and whether it's equitable for everyone who wants to participate. And by making it something that has no pieces and something that you can print and play wherever you are, you have made it so it has the lowest floor anybody can play. And that's exciting because it, when you close the door and make it something that only some kids can access, you only get the point of view of the kids that can access it. So you've made it so it's accessible to everyone, which means everyone will be able to get more from it. You figured out our strategy. The, <laughs> the key strategy in brainstorming is to go back to the Tao Te Ching that says the sun, sun, the sun rises, the sun sets, everything goes to its opposite. So look at your challenge backwards and forwards and upside down. So how do we roll out Waggy Labs? We go, we roll it out where they don't have any after-school programs. We're going to roll it out Cumberland, Virginia. Very few after, no Boys and Girls Club. And Cumberland, Virginia has been amazing what the kids have, have come up with, identifying community challenges. That's why we went to Navajo Nation. And the most exciting one for me is I was given this talk up in D.C., and it was for police chiefs. And this was a year and a half ago. And, and I happened to mention Waggy Labs in my talk. And this police chief came running up to me. I thought I was going to be tackled. He was like, you know, like an old football player. And he goes, we need to bring Waggy Labs to my city. And I go, okay. And he says, I got to tell you a story. On my way to the airport, I heard gunshots. And so I stopped my car because I was in a school zone that I was driving through on the way to O'Hare Airport. And I noticed all the kids were lying face planted down on the ground. So I, I got out of my car just to make sure the kids were okay. I then went and checked out where the gunshot, it was a drive-by shooting. And he said, I got on the airplane and I broke down in tears. He said, I couldn't think. He said, because I realized that these kids go through this every day. And I said, so where are you from? And he said, I'm the superintendent of police of Chicago. And I go, whoa, his name is Eddie Johnson. You've seen him on the news. 
I mean, this is what they deal with every day. So that was one of our first places to put Waggy Labs. We, I said, Eddie, help me find the school. So Englewood is the one that we're going in there and we're in the YWCA, but that's where we wanna go. We wanna go and teach those kids that they've got to brainstorm much more than kids that are going to Charlottesville public schools. So that's what Waggy Labs is all about. We're trying to go and teach empathy in a different way. And we want to teach life's, life skills in a different way. We heard that there's a Boys and Girls Club in Charlottesville that is, you know, in a South Side, I think it's called, in Spanish, all Spanish speaking. So I said, they said, yeah, but you know, we don't know. I said, well, what if we went and totally took all Waggy Labs and made it 100% Spanish and actually taught the parents at the same time because their parents are probably very entrepreneurial. So we went and we've got a, you know, a full Spanish version of Waggy Labs that's being taught uh, at that Boys and Girls Club. So we're trying to do things that other people would go, yeah, well, there's not that much of an audience for that or who's going to pay for that? Well, I found an opportunity to start a school in a little town in Nigeria. And we started a school, a Waggy Lab school there in Nigeria, in a town where Boko Haram, that's where Boko Haram kidnapped those girls. We found 25 kids that have never been in school before. And I said, how much it would cost to start a school? I met a teacher there, you know, online. And she said, well, maybe like $3,000. So I asked my Darden students, they said, let's do a fundraiser. We raised $5,000 in two days. Wow. We started the school. These kids have never been to school. They now have backpacks, sandals, you know, that they, they, they painted their school and they are solving community challenges. So we're a 501c3 nonprofit and we've never had to ask for money. People, they hear about what you're doing. All they do is say, how can we help? It's, it's been the greatest opposite thinking that I've ever done in my life. Yeah, it seems like you really, we've been talking about this the past few weeks, leaning into challenges and it, like you're, you seem to be the ultimate leaner in our, <laughs> leaner in our. <laughs> like tell me something can't be done. Okay, that means I definitely need to do it. Well, well, do you well know, that's the whole point friends, of thinking in opposites, right? That's the it, whole it, point it, of thinking in opposites. Yes. One of my friends, uh, Lexi Hutchins from Charlottesville says I'm a buffalo. Because did you know that when a storm comes up on the plains, the buffalo run into the storm? Really? Yeah. And they're actually built that way, where they're, they're aerodynamically built that way to run into a storm and they get through it. The cows, when they see a storm, they run away from it. And since they're so slow, they get caught in the storm. I mean, that's my goal. I, I love being a buffalo. I mean, you see a storm. <laughs> I mean, I think... COVID is transforming, going to transform not just work at home, it's going to transform education. It's going to transform so much. So my question to any young person or any person is, so what did you do during COVID? What ideas did you have? How did you change the world? I think now's our time. I have yeah. a similar point of view and it is not always popular. You know, most of the time, big, overwhelming overdue change doesn't come when we're all sitting around comfortably. It happens when it's necessary because there are no other options. And I, I think it's happening right now because there are no other options. Yeah. And I, I really see it, young people embracing it more mm -hmm. from the summer programming, you know, that I was part of 
they were all in, I want to make a difference. Now I'm helping with a game design class with Jenny Chu and like their thoughtful comments about where we are just kind of blow me away. So Kayla, I had a question for you. I started incorporating design thinking actually when I was learning it from David Chen at UVA BME when we started doing something called Biomed Tech Girls because we gave the girls a, a design challenge. And so, you know, putting design thinking and STEM activities together seems like a natural fit. And I just wanted to hear a little bit about your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. That's, um, for me, that was the easy entry point, right, for design thinking. I came across design thinking after having gone through project-based learning first, and then challenge-based learning second, and then into design thinking, which is really similar to challenge-based learning. And the thing that makes it so compatible, I think, with STEM integration is the whole idea of, of design, right? Is your prototyping, iterating, prototyping, testing, iterating, prototyping, testing, iterating. So when I work with teachers about integration of it, it's easy to put it into STEM. It's much more difficult to put it into literacy or even into math. But then, you know, every teacher is now being asked to integrate STEM into their, into their curriculum, regardless of having trained, being trained or not. So, that's another issue. <laughs> right. So for me, that's where processes like design thinking come in. When I'm talking to a language arts teacher and I'm saying, hey, like, you know, I, I know that you want to do STEM, but like just doing like a STEM thing on a, every Friday doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. Why don't we try this new thinking process and we can really integrate into your novel study this process, which will then bring the STEM into it as well. And so it's just kind of a different angle as instead of isolating the, um, I don't like to call it integration of STEM, I like to call it the drop-in of STEM. If you really bring in uh, processes, and I don't think design thinking is the only one that can do it, but there are plenty of processes out there that are thinking processes that are good in all content areas that naturally brings STEM into all content areas, which is why I really like it. And, and what I want to add to that, that when I started hearing about STEM several years ago, it made me reflect the reason why I'm a cartoonist, the reason why I'm actually a scientist, because I did get a degree in chemistry, is that I grew up three houses away from a cartoonist named Rube Goldberg. Rube Goldberg created the mousetrap game when I was 10 years old. And I got to watch that. And I got to... but. When I look at what Rube Goldberg was doing with his contraptions, that was STEM. And that was 70 years ago. And the key thing that Rube taught me is that I would see him making these contraptions and I would, you know, you know, remember when we were five and we always asked why? You know, I still why? do. Some of us never grew out of that. Right. And I've, <laughs> he, he got me to never grow out of He said, the average person wants to go from A to B as fast as possible. He said, my goal in life is to go from A to B using all the letters of the alphabet. And that's what his contraption's all about. He I wants to use all the letters of the alphabet. And, you know, as I reflect back on my 72 years, it was not a straight line from A to B. I was using all those letters of the alphabet because of the failures and the pivots and the, the various things that you know, I've gone through in my life. And that's why I think STEM is so important. Well, and I wanna plus that chick because Rube is a great example of real STEM integration because a lot of times we talk about STEM and so teachers will ask students questions that they already know the answers to. 
let's do an experiment. Let's design something that I already know the answer to. And the kids already know that the teachers already know the answers to it. So mm -hmm. it, it shuts down all thinking. It shuts down all questioning. And that's why I like things like design thinking. And I like, I like looking at Rube's work because there's, there's nothing that is pigeonholing or closing the thinking off. Whereas if I'm going to do this experiment and ask you if the iodine is going to go through the film or not and, and, and tell you that that's open thinking, it, it's not. You're, you're, you're going to get the answer right or you're going to get it wrong. You're going to follow the procedure right or you're going to follow the procedure incorrectly. And where there's a place for that, when we're talking about strict content, I think a lot of times, especially at the elementary level, we're not leaving enough room for open thought and questioning from the students. Yeah, it's harder <laughs> as a teacher, I think, especially when you're first starting to plan open-ended things. It becomes second nature. But I think a lot of educators are intimidated by that first step when you've taught right, wrong, follow directions, do the experiment. And when you're taught that that's what science is and that's what that class should look like, kind of leaping off the edge into things that are open-ended and that don't have right and wrong answers can be very intimidating. Which I is completely agree. And I think what? really our, our biggest downfall of that is that we're just not training teachers to, to be able to do that. Kim's teachers on it. Don't <laughs> on yeah, I hear you, Kim. Just, that I'm is my passion. <laughs> that is my passion because we can't expect teachers to just be able to do that without without the mindset themselves and the way that we train teachers causes them to teach the way they teach and so you have to you know as a teacher you have to you have to break out of that and that's like you said it's it's really hard to do and you have to have the right supports and you have to have the right administration to support you through it and yeah um, the time to take the risk to do it as well well, we are, this has been fascinating and wonderful and inspiring, but we're getting close to wrapping up time, but I wanted to just leave it open for any final thoughts, call to action that you have for educators or students. I would like to mention two things. One, my dream as a kid, uh, what I prayed for every night was that I would get a job at Walt Disney as a cartoonist. And I got that opportunity in 1976 and I became an Imagineer. And it was the most closed place I've ever worked wow. in my life. They shut down every idea um, because it was, what would Mickey say? Or what would Mickey think? And I, I recommended in 1976 that Disney put their films on this new thing called videotape. Basically it was Betamax. And Disney shut it down. And all I have to say is that something inside of me said, why don't I do it? So I left Disney. I started my own cartoon company, used videotape, created health education programs, and I sold my business eight years later to Encyclopedia Britannica. And that's how I got my job at Darden Business School, where I've taught for 33 years entrepreneurship. But my piece of telling you is my dream was to be a Disney cartoonist. And when I realized that... Disney wasn't going to work for me. I don't know how I got the courage, but I think I just took the risk. And if you don't take that risk, I took the risk and it turned out. And I learned, I, I, I have a saying that I say to myself constantly. I say, life is trying things to see if they work. You know, I'm just trying to see if it works. I'm going to fail. I'm going to be successful, but I'm trying. But the new thing, just to close out on... You know, with my dyslexia, I never read poetry or wrote poetry, but I, I still remember this one thing that Robert Frost said, and, I'll, and now I totally relate, relate to it. Robert Frost said, 
When I was young, my teachers were the old. Now when I am old, my teachers are the mm. young. And that's what's so important to me. That's why for me at 72, zooming into a classroom in Nigeria, Chicago, Navajo Nation in the morning, talking with kids that are in fourth grade, they are my teachers. That's what I hope people can realize. How can you go and create it so that when you get to be my age, you're gonna have the young be your teachers. And here's the other thing that kids came up with. The kids realized I don't have children. So I said to the kids, look, ideas have been my kids all my life. Well, the kids now tell me that their ideas are my grandkids. Oh, I love that. So, so I've got thousands of grandkids now. And that was awesome. It's a lot of Christmas presents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, virtual, yeah. Oh, very cool. <laughs> Kayla, how about yourself? Any yeah, questions? I think like, I mean, I, I assume that a lot of your listeners are teachers. And I mean, for me, I'm sitting here as a parent of kids in school and as a former teacher and who all of my friends are still teachers. And I'm, I'm watching them go through like the most difficult educational season in recent history. And I, for me, I, I just, my heart goes out to teachers and I, I want them to know that they don't, you know, they don't have to do it all. That they don't have to teach every standard and for me the most important thing that's going on in education right now is that our students have secure mental health mm -hmm. and that our teachers are the first they're the first place for that some kids are going to school and they're scared some kids are still at home and they're they're disconnected some kids are doing both and it's crazy and one kid's at home at the family and one's not and life is nuts right now and so for me, the, the, you know, we can talk about design thinking and we can talk about uh, new technology and new things, but you know, like I, I, I just hope teachers know that they're enough <laughs> because the, the most important thing right now is to make students feel secure. It's not about, you know, learning arithmetic or reading Robert Frost, but that they really understand that, that you know, it's enough just to, to love on their kids and make them feel secure. That's really Very powerful. Well and said, I, yes. I, yeah, I think teachers need to hear that because I think most are not thinking that they are enough. So No, I, everybody's learning every new tech yeah. tool ever ever made right now because they're mm -hmm. just trying to teach. But you know, it's it's that's secondary and we gotta stop and think about that. Yeah, let's buy a billboard. It just says teachers, <laughs> you yeah. are enough. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but it, it's true, right? And we got we have to stop and we have to stop and remember that yeah, through the craziness. Well, Chick and Kayla, we are so glad that you were able to join us and drop these pearls of wisdom on us and inspiration. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Oh. And, and you all see why Kayla is my perfect partner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here with us. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Well, until next time. Tech, love, and happiness. <laughs>